0: So, without further ado, we are excited, and tonight we welcome comedian, insecure actress, and creator, and smart, funny, and black host. Let's give a warm welcome to Miss Amanda Seals. Hi.
1: <laughs> Hello. Hey guys. <laughs> What's going on? Yes.
0: So there are my dogs, and welcome to the no, fun webinar, wait, wait, I told you.
1: What, what? My dog just got up. Like, wait, that's not me. <laughs> See? See what happens?
0: Um, yeah. So, welcome. We're so excited to have you with us tonight, and um, and we have a a full list and load of questions. But through it all, we just want to chat and hang with you. So we're really excited to to have you offer just your insight, um, just on so many facts and knowledge, and then just also, um, you know, reach out and answer some questions from our students. So thank you again for spending your time with us and we're ready to get started. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right, let's do this. Okay. So one of the many reasons we were so excited about bringing you to campus is because in all honesty, we need to laugh. OK, so we're not trying to use you or anything, but we know <laughs> we know what you can bring. So we're excited about that. Um, but with the racial and social and political issues that have been going on in the past year, it just it feels really good to have someone, you know, take us in a different space, even if it's learning in a, in a different perspective. So we thank you for that. Um, so the first question comes from Bonnie Holt. Of hey guys. One of our graduate students who says, when did you realize you were funny?
1: Um. Well, (laughs) there's like funny with your friends and then there's funny getting money, being funny. And that's two very different things. So I was I always knew I was funny with my friends because. My mom and my family are very funny people. And so like once I was like when I was younger and I could like keep up with them, I knew I was I was cooking. And <laughs> um, and you know, like I would just like do things, like I distinctly remember coming up with like this Michael Jackson singing the star-spangled banner skit that I would do when I was like five. My mom would be like, Do this, do the Michael Jackson star spangled like you know, like how parents do. And so, and I was just telling my boyfriend the other day, like. I would just be in the back seat and be like, and now cello concerto number 62. And like, I would just, (laughs) he was like, how how were they not dying laughing? I'm like, yo, I have to ask my mom. Cause I think at a certain point, she just came to expect that I was just gonna randomly be doing animal Mm -hmm. operas, whatever. But being funny for a career, um, that came cause I was in hip hop and I was doing radio and stuff like that. And then this chick that I barely knew, I think I met her at like a dinner party. She was like, Hey, VH1 is looking for a smart, funny black girl. And I suggested you. And I was like, I didn't know that you thought of me as a, like, I didn't know that that was a thing I was thought of. And, um, she was like, yeah, you were so funny at the dinner. And so, you know, I told them to check you out. And so I went in for this audition for best week ever. And there was all these comedians there, but I ended up booking it. And so I would be like in the makeup room with, you know, these comedians like John Mulaney and Nick Kroll and, and Rich Nice. And like, I'd be able to keep up. Yes. (laughs) There you go.
0: So it sounds like probably for a while, your parents just start kind of tuning you out, huh? Like they just
1: my father wasn't my father wasn't around enough to tune me out. Like he should have tuned me more in cuz he would probably be better off. But my mother, yes. definitely at a certain point I feel like I mean, I'm sure like even my dude there's stuff I be doing on Instagram that I think anybody else would be like, "What is she doing over there?" and he's just <laughs> making eggs, you know? And I'm over <laughs> here doing a full like performance yes. with a goatee that I drew on my face with a with a you know, eyeshadow pencil. So, I think you
0: can it. we love it. Um, And then, so then, some of these questions were kind of answered. So, Diana uh, Munio Sortis asked, "When did you know you wanted to become a comedian?" But you just shared that, with us, "No, that's different." Oh, tell, tell us that's
1: more. Difference, Brielle. Okay, because I was in the music business. I was entrenched in the music business. I was a radio right. host. Then I was writing for The Source and XXL. Yes. I was, um. I, I was an artist, so I was touring. I had my own music. <laughs> I was doing videos. Like it was all about the music business. And then I reached a point in around 2000, around like 2010, 2011, where I just <laughs> started to see the hip hop genre shift in a way that just didn't really connect with me anymore like the style of music started becoming way more trap um mm-hmm. and i don't know i just i just wasn't and even though like i'm i've grew up in the south and i love trap like when it comes to hip hop i'm i'm a purist in many ways in many right ways. and so there was just a disconnect that started to happen and i think part of it too was also that i was maturing into a different space where mm-hmm. i didn't feel like my voice was gonna carry in that world anymore, and um, and what happened with comedy was that the only thing I've ever loved as much as hip hop is comedy. I mean, mm-hmm. I would I would tape SNL on VHS tapes and Seinfeld, and my, I would carry around Seinfeld's book and Chris Rock's book. Like people were reading like little mini versions of the Old Testament, and I'd be reading like oh, look what Chris Rock said about crack. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like and and um you know i'd be like memorizing their bits and i was always like trying to sneak to watch like stand up specials like raw and you know s- saw def comedy jam when i was younger so comedy was always like this real it was more than just like oh they're making people laugh it was a craft and an art form for me so i took it very seriously and that's why like i never imagined i could even be a stand up comic and then Uh, basically the short version of this and there's it's fully explained in my book small doses potent truths for everyday use which is available now and being released on paperback April 13th yes okay um I really when I realized it was time to get out of music Mm -hmm. I had all these things I could do I could host I could write I could sing and like you know perform theatrically um I could act and I could make people laugh. And it was like, all these things felt very disparate. And mm-hmm. people were trying to tell me like, you know, you need to come up with something to call yourself like a humorist or, <laughs> you know, and, and like you need a label because people need to be able to, to call you something. And ultimately I, I ended up just kind of like centering on who are the people's careers that that mimic what I want for myself. Yes. It, it, mm-hmm. it landed at Chris Rock, Chelsea Handler and Ellen DeGeneres who are all very, very different. <laughs> Very, very. Yes. (laughs) But they all have something in common. They've all built multimedia empires based on their point of view. So they have live performance. They have TV and film. They have books. They have hosting all based on just their point of view. And the one thing when I looked at everything that they did, the one thing I didn't do was stand up they all oh. had up in common and i didn't do stand up and the what i gleaned from that was you know what being a stand up legitimizes you as a comedian in a way where all these things that you do that look like they don't connect actually connect and so right. it became this umbrella under which all of these things that i do could exist in harmony versus in discord and so i kind of just put that out into the universe and then Maybe about like nine months to a year later, like I got a call, like someone random was just like, hey, we're doing a stand-up show and we want you on it. And I was like, I don't do stand-up. And they're like, we want you to headline. I'm like, whoa, 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 I don't do I can't headline because I've never done this before, but I'll come. And um, I mean, the people on the show are people like Sashir Zameda, who's on SNL, and like mm-hmm. Nyan Perrigan, who's one of the head writers of uh, Search Party. And uh, Marina Franklin, who's an amazing writer and stand-up comedian. So it was like my first show was with all these sisters who were a beast. Okay. Oh my goodness. So 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 it is different because deciding to be a comedian was not something I took lightly, and to this day I am in constant amazement that I'm a stand-up. <laughs> We are amazed. <laughs> I'm like, you are saying a comedian. Look at that.
0: Yes. Yes. Thank you so much um, for that. We're going to keep asking more questions. I want to keep talking to you more, but I have questions to ask. So let me <laughs> stay. I need to be good. <laughs> it's not about me right now. Okay. Um, so education for those who don't have access to education is something you've talked about a lot. And I and I know you have a master's deg- degree in African American Studies from Columbia. woo Um, And so what advice would you give college students today? Like, what would you tell them?
1: I mean, I would tell them the same advice that I've always given college students. And by the way, I've been speaking at colleges since I was in college, Um, because when I was in school, I ended up doing Deaf Poetry Jam. And when people did Deaf Poetry Jam, they would send you out to schools to perform um, poetry. So. When I was in school, I ended up creating my own major. And I did that because I actually ended up, um, I actually ended up having to be, well, I was asked to leave the acting conservatory at SUNY Purchase for a year. And it was some bullshit, that's the whole of the story. But um, I was gonna quit school. And then I had a professor who was like, no, you can't quit school. Too smart. We got to figure this out, and I was like, trying to figure out because I'm trying to spend this money to just be sitting up here doing some major that I don't want because all of my bosses at the Gap had graduated (laughs) with a major that they don't want. Okay, we had a poli sci in there, a psych in there, we had a (laughs) children's behavioral studies in there, and Mm -mm. all of them. It wasn't that they couldn't get jobs in their field. They were just like, I just didn't really have a passion for it. And I was like, I'll be damned if I'm spending all this money going to be in debt for the next 20 years to not um, do something I love. And all I cared about at that point was learning about learning more about my my black culture because I learned, you know, once you get to college, you. I guess I look at it like I'll I'll make this make sense. Just walk with me. (laughs) Uh, I'm ready (laughs) in high in in grade school and high school, you know, you learn black history, but history is really just like facts. And even that is a little sketchy in the grade school curriculum. Right. Mm -hmm. But when you get to college and you have like the right professors, you don't just learn history, you learn reality. And that involves feelings and nuance and context that history often leaves out. So that's where the arts comes in. Because, you know, they say that historians record the facts, poets record the feelings. So that's when you start to learn far more about the actual time that like certain like things that's like the Harlem Renaissance is from this time to this time. And then the, you know, the reconstruction from this time to this time. But then you don't learn about like what were people feeling? What were people going through? You know, what was the actual like energy in the air? And so that's what I ended up learning in school when I changed my major and created a major called Black Studies with a concentration in the Visual and Performing Arts.
0: Yes,
1: and yes. So to, to this, is day, it still there? Do they still have that? They major? finally have a Black Studies major. They didn't have one at that time. So I like to think that I was a maverick. In yes, that. I love it.
0: We're actually starting Ethnic here's Studies here.
1: The reason I told that story is because so many of us go to school and feel like we cannot chart our own course. We feel like we can't curate our educational experience. Yes. And ultimately, the way that you do that is you need to learn your school's rules So many students rely on your advisors to tell you the whos and the whats and the hows of getting where you want to with your education. And I can confirm for you 100%. The only way I was able to not only graduate with my own major, but graduate on time Mm -hmm. was because I made it my business to learn what is needed to get out of here (laughs) and be able and being able to know that and then build into that what do I want? to get from here. And so learning that framework, I could plug in what I needed. And I just think so many of us feel like we are just kind of limited to what has been um, decided for us with our college education. And you guys Mm -hmm. more than than ever are at a time where you really, you have so many different classes that we had and like so many different options. Yeah. And and it's just like, just, just, I, I get what I'm saying is, reach outside of the obvious. Mm-hmm. Like you can make this your time.
0: That's such great advice. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's, that's well, just true. About it. Advisors have how many students they got to care about? You got one. Right. You got right. one, you. You should be able to have a conversation with your advisor versus just receiving guidance. You should be able to say like, okay, I hear what you're saying, but if <laughs> I do this, can I do this? Let me tell y'all a quick story. When I created my own major, I had to get signed It had to get signed off by a number of people. Right. So like Mm -hmm. the head of of social sciences, the head of theater arts and film. And then I had to go to the Dean of admissions. Right. And and the Dean of admissions, um, there were specific core classes that you have to take And Every school has this, right. Like you, some schools it's like you have to take this many math courses, this many history courses, this many, um, you know, language courses, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, especially at a liberal arts college, that's just a baseline, no matter what your like actual major is, there's like right. a baseline right. of actual courses. And because of the way the schedule was set up, I wasn't going to graduate on time mm-hmm. if I had to take Spanish. Mm-hmm. And I will never forget this man, Dr. Rich Nassisi because he didn't have to do this. He was like, you know, I want you to graduate on time with your class. Mm -hmm. Let's see if we can find a way to make this work. And he looked at my high school transcripts and I had gotten an A every quarter in Spanish. Mm -hmm. And he was like, your major is African-American studies with a concentration in the arts. I'm not gonna keep you from graduating on time for Spanish. <laughs> like, yes. And he was like, you met the requirements in high school. I'm going to waive it. Oh, my goodness. And that is when administrators use their power in in a real way, when they understand mm-hmm. that we're students and we're individuals and we have nuanced majors and goals. And I right. just, so I'm talking also to the administrators on here. Like, there's just so often times where it feels like you don't, you're at the whim of of the of the school and of this bigger body. And just know that like, we really, as students, we depend on you in so many real ways and you can mm-hmm. change the course of someone's life.
0: Oh my gosh. That's so true. That's so true. Um, actually we have a professor that has a question for you and I keep, okay. I want to make sure I'm on my phone. Y'all don't make fun of me. Okay. Let me pull it. Okay. So a professor has a question for you. He okay. said, um, As a Latinx educator invested in empowering our Black and brown students on this campus, what is the role of comedy in debunking ongoing racist, sexist, nativist ideas rampant in our mainstream news and social media? And then a second part, do you have any tips for educators on how to better engage and empower our
1: students? Well, first of all, comedy doesn't have any role other than to make people laugh. So y'all gotta stop giving comedians all these fucking roles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, like it that's our role. Now, as an individual, uh-huh, I use my comedy for the purpose of educating because that's what I feel is my role and okay. my purpose. And in doing so, I have to remain informed. You know, I have to remain conscious and I have to remain responsible with how I'm framing jokes and how I am, you know, speaking to different communities and how I am confronting certain communities with their, you know, uh, unwillingness um, and -hmm. their ignorance, etc. And so for me, particularly, the role of comedy is to engage people in a way that allows them to open up their consciousness and their perspective. Nice. And so it's a spoonful of sugar. You know, it's also when people are laughing, they're vulnerable. You know, they're yeah. more they're 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 freer. When I was an interviewer and I was doing radio, people would always be like, yo, how you get these rappers to say the stuff that they say. <laughs> I'm like because I get them laughing. Like cute yeah. and I get them laughing. They done it's over. So <laughs> that's just how it goes. But it's like Com- like, hum- like people want to laugh like humor is su- like humor gets in you you know laughing like come when you start laughing from your gut you know you just you're open it's the complete opposite of crying hysterically laughing hysterically is just like oh my god whatever so that's what it is for me now in terms of empowering students you know i think you know i'm watching the crown right now i'm binging the crown because it couldn't be further than from what life really is and um so i'm i'm enjoying it as a certain level of escapism and there's a episode the episode that i'm on they just had a man come and tell the queen like you know nobody really rocks with you because they don't know you you don't talk to nobody, you're not down in the weeds, like you're not really understanding the levels that they're on. And I think for a lot of students, that's how it feels with professors. It's like there's there's this preservation of formality um, that oftentimes like can create distance. And then sometimes the informality creates too much togetherness, right? Like don't sleep with your students. But ultimately, (laughs) I'm just saying, but ultimately, I feel like there's a, um, there is a space of connectivity that happens where we have to bridge generations and bridge information and bridge contextualization because so often like, you know, when you're a young person and you're in school, you're, you're, you're smart and you're getting all this information, you're gleaning all this information, you're in class, et cetera, but then you got to go out in the real world with it and you still need. That extra level of like, okay, but let's synthesize this like this. And I feel like that connectivity doesn't get to happen enough with administrators. And as far as empowering, I think there's also, I don't, I just feel like in my school, there wasn't a lot of like cross-cultural connectivity. You know? There just wasn't. These are the black classes, these are the classes, these are the Latinx classes. And I just would have loved to have seen more effort or more opportunities for professors to be able to cross over. Like everybody loves a crossover episode of a TV show. (laughs) I would love a crossover episode of a class, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like like a synergy of syllabus, a synergy of syllabi, you know, where it's like, and when we get to this unit, you're gonna go over here. And I know that there's like the politics of of schools and whatnot, but anything can be, anything can be dealt with. But just that type of thing, um, also, also helps to just demonstrate like the ways in which, you know, students can interact with each other kind of, you know, mm-hmm. interculturally and intersectionally outside of everything. I mean, I don't know if anyone has seen Judas in the black Messiah, which is about the story of Fred Hampton and how he was him and the black Panther party in Chicago was infiltrated. And that's how he was taken down, but he had formed a rainbow coalition where he went and he brought together like these other groups that were looking to, um, basically beat the system so like uh working class white folks and uh, the latinx community like they had a mm-hmm. they had a, a gang and he went to everybody and was like yo imagine if we all teamed up we all want the same thing for our people imagine if we teamed right. up, right right so,
0: exactly that culture creating that culture um so kind of going off of what you were just referring to a little bit. um, Can you recall your first experience with racism? I'm thinking about the (laughs) movie. So let's talk about that for a minute. Your your first experience with racism? When I was
1: eight, um, I was, well, when I moved to Orlando, Orlando just in general was like, hello, racism. (laughs) Like I always say that, uh, people are always like, Orlando isn't racist, it's Disney. And I'm like, no, 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 no. It's not like Mississippi racist. It's not like fuck you nigger, get out of here. But it's like, like, you know, it's just yeah. but it's definitely like, fuck you, nigga, get out of here. Like it's definitely, <laughs> it's it's racist. It's like You're a call yeah. with rhinestones. So <laughs> um I would say the first, but my first experience I can like implicitly tell you is my mother relayed this to me. So this was by way of, so when I got to Orlando, I had tested gifted in LA. I was born in Los mm-hmm. Angeles. And I was in gifted program, et cetera. And then when I moved to Orlando for third grade, my mom was like, okay, I'd like to get her tested for the gifted program here. And my teacher, mm-hmm. was like, she's not gifted. <gasps> and my mom was like, this is the first week of school. How, <laughs> like, what are you talking? And my mom was like, um, well, I can tell you what, if she was gifted in California, she's gifted in Florida. Okay. Right. (laughs) And the teacher really like tried to prevent me from being tested for gifted and went so far as to like, my mom was like, well, I'll just go talk to the principal. And she took like this back, like a tunnel to get to the principal's office before my mom could get there to like try and shut it down. And um, she also in third grade told me that well, she had asked, what do we want to be? And I said, I want to be the first black female president of the United States of America. And she told my mother that Amanda, she told my mother that Amanda is overconfident and needs to pursue more realistic goals. <gasps> um, but so those were like, you know, kind of, they were obviously racist, but they right. were like, but the first one that I remember as like a happening to me in my face was when I I was a dancer. When I was eight, I my first job ever was dancing in front of the castle at Disney World. Mm-hmm the sparkling Christmas spectacular and they auditioned 1500 kids and they chose 10 and I remember this kid Patrick this little Aryan race cat, Patrick he had blonde hair and blue eyes and he was like you know they only picked you because you're black and I was like I mean that's fine <laughs> like, I'm still here we're getting paid the same, right money. um but that was the like, first time that yeah. I was like and then they treated me different. Like they had, we had Secret Santa, and they gave me like a broken gift. Yeah. Wow! Yeah, my Secret Santa was a kid named Jeremy. He, I can see him clear as day right now. He had a freckle, Jeremy? right? Here. Yeah, Jeremy had a mole right here, and he had <laughs> Prince Charles hair at like eight. And he, um, he gave me a broken jewelry box and like you know the tubes of candy that have like a little character on the top. Yeah, because it was half yeah. eaten. Uh uh-uh. uh the character and I remember crying and my mom was like I can't
0: stand these people mm. fine. that's yeah right. and, Therap- and it's sad yeah. that you
1: remember so early right like I know I mean I-, I have a picture of that group and in the picture everyone's smiling and then someone's arm is like in my way and I'm like this oh my gosh! and my therapist was like and that is when you became how you are now she was like <laughs> this picture is when it happened it explains it all <laughs>
0: Oh my goodness! Um, so here's another question. Um, Brenda Silva asks, "What honest advice can you give uh, um, to women of color in this political climate?" So saying that you space. can't be president, huh? No,
1: <laughs> exactly. Take up space. There you That's go. That's my advice. Take up space. I think a lot of us, you know, we've just we we are really undoing the brainwashing of centuries, um, and so it's really going to be like those of us going for the gusto that make room for those of us who may not be as outspoken but still deserve to be heard, right? Right. So we have to very ardently take up space and make space for others when we get in that space, you know? Like when someone asked me the other day, like, what do I want to see the next um, black woman like what position, what political position would I want to see the next black woman in? And I know they thought I was going to say president. And I'm like, (laughs) I want us to take over the Senate. (laughs) Can we, there's no black women in the Senate right now. None. Kamala was one. And that was a big deal. So we need to take up space and we need to support those of us who are taking up space. And if I'm keeping it a hundred, we be hating on each other. Mm. be hating on each other. We be on each other for all kinds of reasons. Yes. Her man, her man too fine. She too light skin. She too dark skin. Her hair too curly. She too skinny. She too big. We, we come up with, <laughs> I don't like her attitude. She thinks she cute. Mm-hmm. We come up with a million and one reasons as black women to not support other black women. And we have got to stop.
0: Yes. We talked about that today
1: with our hair conversation Oh, good. oh, with the hair, geez, with the hair. And then they came up with the 4C and the 2B and the, I'm like, now y'all just starting problems.
0: <laughs> yes. Everybody may not know what that is, but that's what bad. Oh, if you, what is it? I-Y-K-Y-K? If you know, you know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Okay, so I'm going to ask you another question and then we'll start opening it up because I I see our chats just going. People are so excited that you're here and I know they want to talk to you more. Um, So we have we have a few more. So if there's time in between, I'll throw some more in there. But recently we um, from one of your stand up performances. So when you're doing stand up, um, you were talking about people knowing that the Negro National Anthem right? And so last week we had a performer, Jarrett Johnson. Um, he's, his um, rendition of the national, the Negro national anthem is actually, um, up for a Grammy. Oh wow. Um, this year, Yeah. So we're, um, he, he, he performed for us last week, but, um, so our question is like for you, why do you think young folks don't know about it? Because we did a poll and it was like 30% of, the audience didn't even know or never heard the song before that day. So why do you think that is? Why are we not hearing that or knowing of that song?
1: I mean, if I just pull something out of my ass, my thought is this. Young people don't have to go to gatherings the way they once had to. Like Mm -hmm. there's, I just remember in my, in my day, I would have to go to certain elders-type gatherings Mm -hmm. that the Negro National Anthem was sang at. And with a certain level of austerity that was expected in these spaces. And I just feel like we don't really do that in the same way Mm. anymore. Um, I make a point of singing the Negro National Anthem anywhere I do something. Uh, So if it's Smart, Funny, and Black, live in the crib, my special. (laughs) I make a point, Um, but I also think that, you know, we have to remember, so like my generation, I was born in the eighties and we're coming off the heels of the civil rights movement and the black power movement, right? So right, in the 70s. right. And so there was a resurgence of black pride, right? I don't even know if it, I want to say there was a surge of black pride because I can't say that we actually got to publicly really exist in that space up until that point. And so I was taught by teachers of that era who came up of that era. So, like, my first yes. grade teacher had us singing the Negro National Anthem. Oh, my goodness. Miss Channel and she was like, yeah, because I didn't want y'all thinking that this land was is your land is actually yeah. true. She's like, they don't treat you like it's your land. So we got to sing this other thing too. Um, but I just I feel like so in moving forward, the younger generation like they're not being taught by the same, but they're not being taught by teachers who came out of that time. Like my right. generation, you know, we're hip hop. So, you know, they're, they're getting access to something different, but I think it's still very important that we continue to center the Negro National Anthem and continue to, um, to identify difference. And I just think that in this effort to like topple racism. There's a lot of conversation (laughs) amongst young people that says like, we're all the same and we're not. And you can identify the differences and the individuality of us while still upholding that everybody deserves the same rights. Right. You know, imagine like, like indigenous people of, of the world have, have traditions that are unique mm-hmm. to their tribes, yes. you know, that are unique to their peoples. And that doesn't make them any less indigenous people. <laughs> like, <laughs> You know, and I think that it's they, so simple. There's just this erasure around black culture in America that yeah. tries to homogenize it and tries to make it just American. And it is not. There are different types of Americans. There are Indigenous Americans. There are Latinx Americans, and even within that, there's are subsets. Because you know, your your quinceañera for a Mexican young woman is probably not going to be the same as for a Nicaraguan young woman. You know what I'm saying? Like, we should be able to understand that. But because we fail to acknowledge Black American as an ethnicity, mm-hmm. we like to only look at it as a race. But it is actually, in my opinion, it's an ethnicity. It's a very specific cultural. Um, Identifier, we, yeah. we lose things like the Negro National Anthem.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Thank these you.
1: Are the I be thinking about. I just be <laughs> thinking about these things. But that's well, why not, we're. Asking. I'm an expert on this. Like, I, I mean, I went to school, and I do think about these things on, like, in a real way. But just know that I just be philosophizing. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> okay, so this one will be.
0: um the last question for me, and then we'll see if anyone has um, questions from the audience. And if not, I have plenty more, so we'll keep talking. I love um, <laughs> yeah. So, what last bit of advice do you want to give our students tonight?
1: Damn, I gave y'all a lot of advice. Uh, um, I kind of agree with that
0: too. <laughs> Is there anything else? Anything else? If not, we could pick another question. I got, I got a lot.
1: Listen to your elders oh that's good though see we needed to hear that now they may not always be right <laughs> but it's still worth a listen and listen very rare is anybody a hundred percent anything so they might you know, even a broken clog is right twice a day so yeah. you know you can know you and 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 be working on you at the same time as listening to others who have experienced more life than you and be able to filter from that what works for you. Yeah. And so often in our radical youth, we're like, I don't need you. You don't know me. You can't tell me nothing. I want to hear about it. I'm going to figure this out myself because I'm going to prove to everybody that I'm smart enough. And then you, lear- you learn over time that you didn't prove nothing to nobody. Uh-huh. Um, and so, you know, just, just, and and also let me just say too, there are so many adults who respect your youth and respect yeah. your mind. And you uh-huh. gotta find those folks. You know, yeah. like I was so fortunate to throughout my um, youth and my young adult years, and then my like, young grown-up years because young grown-up uh-huh. years is like 20 to 26. Yeah <laughs> <But> young, <laughs> you ain't really and even 27 to 31 you still think you're doing something. And you're still <laughs> yeah. um, but and it's not to say that you have to have some formal mentorship but I just always had grown people around me that respected my mind enough to hear me out and yeah. be able to give me advice and guidance based on me not based on what they would have done cuz they know that's not helpful to anybody right so just right. you know seek out those people i mean i have professors who are now my friends and you know like my first grade teacher miss channel she hates that i call her miss channel and i'm like i cannot call you. i'm not going to call you your first name <laughs> but you know it's and and um and the last thing I'll say too, is that you need to understand that you have a responsibility because you are privileged because you got a higher education. Yeah. You know, that's, I see people talking a lot lately about like college is nothing and education means nothing. And I'm like, you're an idiot because, <laughs> <laughs> well, if it was nothing, they wouldn't have made it illegal for us to read. They wouldn't have tried to kill us. They wouldn't have not tried. Yes. They have killed us for reading, etc., cetera, et cetera. You crazy if it was nothing, they wouldn't have thrown away the sea scrolls. Like, listen, baby, like mm-hmm. education is the one thing they can't take from you. They can take your house, That's right. your name, your dog, your kids. They could take literally your identity. They cannot take from you what you know. Absolutely. So just, you know, understand that that is not a burden. It's an honor. Carry Absolutely.
0: I love it. So we have, um, Christian Rodriguez asked, he said, um, I love the art on your wall. What is your favorite piece and why? So behind you, one of those, I think.
1: Well, I did all of these. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Done. (laughs) Done. (laughs) He said, Um, love. um. (laughs) Wow. All of them have their own special places in my heart. Like, yeah, this is a, um, this was a commissioned piece that I did, well, there's a funny story around this that I never tell, but I'll tell the story. So okay. this, guy, right. this guy in Spain, this brother who was like in the military in Spain had commissioned me to mm-hmm. do a piece. So I did the piece and I mailed it to him. And then he asked me to do another piece. And so this is the sketch for that other piece. And, um, and when I sent it to him, he was like, you know, I'd love for you to come to Spain and you can stay in my home and paint the piece. And I was like, I must look like a <laughs> fool. Look like a fool because you think I'ma come across the mid-Atlantic to your house to paint. Uh, no, baby. And so then he was like, I don't like it. I think it's ugly. <laughs> and, but wow. the original sketch and I really like it. And one day I will paint it. Um, This one is special to me because I had done this whole series of chalk pastels. Uh And and it actually extends all the way to there. And this post-it note, so this says, me, the female Raja clad in emerald and rubies. And that was like a rap. That was a line from one of my raps that I was writing. I was rapping at the time. And this is a (laughs) post-it note from one of my college roommates, Maite. And this was put on this when we were in college. This post-it note has not left this since 2002. It still has sticky. It still has sticky. (laughs) And my Té is from Queens, New York. And it says, you ain't no fucking Raja. (laughs) And so like the cancer in me is just like hyper sentimental. And I just love that it's still there. And this is is the first painting I did that was an original piece. So when Mm -hmm. I started painting, I did two like pieces that were a copy of like a greeting card that I'd seen. And this is the first one that was like, really realized from my mind. And I did this, um, in 97. So I was 15 when I did this one. And then this over here is like my ode to hip hop style. Yes. So they all have like, you know, there, and then like, these ones up here, like, this is a whole series that I did of, um, dedicated to the hip hop babies because there's like a whole generation of us that just grew up in a world where hip hop was everywhere and it shaped us. Brown sugar. Do you love brown sugar? I do love brown sugar. I watched it the other day and I was like, it still holds up. I know
0: it just makes you reminisce. Okay. Wait, let me stay. Let me stay. (laughs) Um, okay. So Amber, Amber Sosa, um, says what's the best lesson you have learned in life?
1: I mean, there's so many like don't date drug dealers, um, <laughs> you know. Like uh, I think for your generation, uh-huh. the internet is forever. Yes, yes. The internet is forever. All of it. So just <laughs> you know, it's infinitus. So watch what you say, who you say it to, you know, because one of the first lessons I learned, I mean, that question is so big because I mean, I've just, I'm a, I'm a student. So I've, I've lived a life of learning lessons, but one of the first lessons my mother taught me was that your reputation precedes you. Mm. Um, It is, it is very often louder than you. And so you and and when I say that I need to be clear that like you get to measure what you what matters to you in terms of reputation, right? Like some right. people will try and make reputation around like your sexuality and all this shit that don't matter. For right. me, like to for me, reputation is my character, my work ethic and my values. Yeah. And yeah. um and so a lot of folks think like you know, they just on these internets, just doing everything, just, mm-hmm. just whatever. And not understanding that the way in which you're interacting with that space can oftentimes, um, skew the reputation that you want to uphold for yourself and present for yourself. And right. so the consciousness that you need to have. And I can absolutely tell you, I have made that error because I've gotten way too comfortable on the internet before and was just yeah. talking. And, and it wasn't that I was saying something that I didn't mean. It was that I was speaking in a way that was way too informal because mm-hmm. all these people are watching and they don't know me like that. So perspective is reality. So to them, their perspective of what I'm saying is the truth. And I'm yeah. not getting an opportunity to even clarify it for them because there's not that back and forth exchange. So it's just, you know, be 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 understanding of the new world that you're in. Um and that, you know, boundaries are important. Boundaries mm-hmm. is another lesson I've had to learn. That's a later less later in life lesson I learned that you can say, oh, I don't like that and then not have to deal with it anymore. Yeah. And you can also say, I don't like that, but I know I got to deal with it for a certain amount of time. And so I'm going to deal with it out here Mm -hmm. (laughs) versus in here, you know? And I think a lot of us don't really feel like we have permission to do that. That's yes.
0: Yes. I think we still have to tell ourselves that sometimes even in my current state. Okay. So we have a special guest. We're excited. We get to have a live question. Ah. So I'm sure. Yeah. So I'm sure she's really excited to be able to talk to you and meet you personally. Um, so Olivia Beltran, are you here? Um, yes, I'm here. Sorry. I, I got in late. I had a hard time logging in. All good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we're happy you're here do you want to Thank go you. ahead and ask amanda your question yes I do hi amanda hi. <laughs> um it's I said if you could make any statement stick in a young girl's mind about confidence and determination what would it be
1: oh lord All right. <laughs> you're enough mm. i like that hashtag you know you're enough yeah. <laughs> And that doesn't mean that you can't gain insight from other people. That doesn't mean, oh, Christian, you got to put an E after that R. Um, It doesn't mean that you can't gain insight from other people. It doesn't mean that you can't learn. It doesn't mean that you don't grow and evolve. It doesn't mean that you don't realize that ways in which you're behaving with more information, you're like, oh, maybe I should change that. Like that's Mm -hmm. not, all of those things can still exist while you being enough. And oftentimes we think that we have to be some someone else or that we are missing the pieces or the capability to be the person that we wanna be. And it really is in you.
0: I like that. I'm glad I gotta be a part of this. Like I was all nervous. <laughs>
1: No, you weren't because I see you put a whole fit together. You got the <laughs> hair did, you got the outfit. Olivia yeah. was like, "I'm coming on the TV today. I'm coming on the chat, and let's talk. Let's it talk." Was just,
0: it was just crazy. I burned my meatloaf, try, and then I had to do my email a lot. I had a date tonight, and but I, I had the date prior, and he was supposed to come over, and then I'm sitting there trying to cook it, and then they emailed me like, "Bam, you're gonna be on tonight," and I was like, "Oh shit." <laughs> It burned, but I'm glad I got on. Um, the meatloaf is okay. I'm glad okay, I got on. Okay, good,
1: good, good. I don't want you to go to sleep hungry. All right, good. No. Thank you, Olivia. And I hope the Thank day went you. well. Thank you. Nice to meet
0: Oh, that's great. Um, okay, we have questions everywhere. I don't know where to go next, Emily. Oh my gosh. Okay, so we have Q&A going and then we have only a few more minutes. So let me go back to this question. I love that you're enough. I've even thought about getting that as a tattoo before Um, because sometimes
1: I have have post-its all over my house that basically lead back to that sentiment.
0: Absolutely. Um, So maybe this would add to it, but it looks like I, I hope I do not mispronounce too much. But Akilah Caldwell asked, in what ways do
1: you empower women of color? I mean, in my daily existence, um, that's part of it. Um, I just I also center our stories, and I am very vocal about yeah. our protection and our and the value and merits of our perspective being included in every space. Um, yeah. I empower women of color also, I believe, by living in purpose and intention and in like values and ethics as a woman of color. Um, and I really just feel like I do my best to impart the importance of sisterhood amongst Mm -hmm. every woman I come across. And I myself demonstrate that with my, my staff, with my, um, my interns, with my peers, my colleagues, et cetera. You know, I am a big believer in uh, teamwork makes the dream work. Yes. And I've been in scenarios where, you know, other women of color have not felt that way and have looked at it more like there's only room for, you know, one of us, et cetera. (laughs) And I have made it like my life's work to really, be the opposite of that in every space that I inhabit.
0: That's beautiful. Thank you
1: for that. That actually
0: um, helps encompass what we're celebrating on campus. It's um, the year of the black woman. So we are empowering women um, during Black History Month throughout. And so that fits right in there. Thank you for that. Um, And then we have someone actually that asked, um, what advice can you give us black men? So Lawrence um, Duru if I pronounce that correctly, it said, what advice can you give us Black
1: men? Your feelings are your friends. Mm. Yeah. I feel like that is like the, I feel like as, aside from, you know, this entire oppressive institution <laughs> that America is, uh, the other thing holding Black men back is patriarchies, like passed down method or basically patriarchy's paradigm that 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 a man with feelings is weak you know Mm -hmm. with feelings yeah and I know that may sound hackneyed but that's like a that's still like a real 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 thing and I mean I think there's so much work to be done in just like letting men know that they can be vulnerable and still strong and still regarded. I mean, it's for women too, but I think that society bumps up against men, particularly cisgendered heterosexual men being vulnerable and emotional more than any other group. Right? It's like this yeah. idea that you just, that if you do that, then you're not um, really valuable that you're, you know, you, you can't be depended on or you're not reliable. Um, mm-hmm. The other advice I would give is listen to women. You know, I mean, period. Again, like <laughs> period, <laughs> you know, th- to be honest, the world has not made a habit of teaching men how to be good men. Like that's not society that isn't, doesn't, doesn't set, isn't set up to teach men how to be good men. If society is literally t- set up to teach men how to be manipulative, like how to be capitalists, <laughs> how to be um, toxic and how to be brute forces. Mm-hmm. It it's it's men who, in some shape, way or form, reach these moments of enlightenment that realize, like, Hold up, this is not really good. That end up finding a deeper connectivity to themselves and finding a, the reality that, like, you know, all of these things are actually not helpful. They're they're mm-hmm. they're harmful. Um, and I just remember my homeboy when he was thirty six called me and was like, yo did you know niggas ain't shit? Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> and he was like, I had no idea that we ain't shit. And he was Aww. like, he was like, I got to get busy. And he started doing a lot of self-work. And what he meant by, you know, niggas ain't shit was that he was just like, I have been taught my whole life that being selfish was like a good thing. You know, that putting money first was what made me a man. That- being the strongest person in the room is gonna actually be the thing that is my legacy. And he was like, and I just realized how all of those things were making me a harmful person, a harmful man to women. And he was like, and it wasn't until I started actually listening to my homegirls and to my mom mm-hmm. that I started realizing like that I am not that I need to unlearn these ways and it will free me to be so much happier. And um, and that's true. Yeah. And I will also add that black women in particular have made like a very strong stride toward wellness and self-care in a way that I want to see our brothers do. And so, you know, they're a wellspring for information on going down that road. And they're we're out here. Listening. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we're almost out of time, but there
0: are two more questions that I think would be very valuable for you to answer. So okay. we'll do one um, that um, Lourdes Nylon asked, and she said, what legacy would you
1: like to leave behind? Um, I would like to leave behind an, a legacy of authenticity and mm-hmm. and art. Um, yeah. art. Art that inspires folks to reach inside themselves to Mm -hmm. move beyond boundaries that were created outside of themselves. And like in every type of art that I create, I always have two ways I approach it. It's like on one end, I want it to serve me artistically. And on the other end, I want it to serve the people. So socially, I want it to, you know, And that can be either by informing or inspiring or Mm -hmm. empowering or all the above. And if it doesn't do that, then I'm just like, well, I can't like, I lose interest in it. It's not worth it. Yeah. And so, and so, yeah, that's the legacy I want to leave behind. I want to leave behind that like Amanda was a real one and her art mattered.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. Okay. So this is the last question, but it's a fun one. Darius Riggins said, since you are a hip hop OG, what is the GOAT
1: MC for you? Who is your GOAT MC? I mean, my GOAT is Andre Benjamin. Otherwise, yes. I mean, Andre 3000. 10, otherwise, I mean, three mm-hmm. of Outcast. That is my mm-hmm. GOAT. Um, nobody can consistently, like, and I know people would be like, Jay Z, Jay Z. I'm like, listen. <laughs> but see, Dre, had an art like he had a abstractness to what he was doing that made his rhymes go beyond just raps. You know, mm-hmm. like don't get me wrong, like Jay's nice, you know, most deaf, Nas, Lauren Hill, all Biggie, Pop, like um J. Cole on a good day, like, you know, folks got r- raps, but Andre, it's he's painting masterpieces. He's doing things with cadence. That other MCs aren't doing. He's um, giving you metaphors. He's also painting pictures. And that's the other thing, too. A lot of MCs only have one or the other. They either got great metaphors or they can tell a story. But yeah, you know, like I would say Nas is a far better storyteller than a metaphor. You know, like Tupac, way better storyteller than a, than a, I'm gonna say a metaphorizer. <laughs> Whereas like Biggie, <laughs> Biggie had both. Yeah, Big both. Whereas Hove is not a storyteller, in my opinion, but he's going to give you metaphors and puns for days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you know, Andre is all the above, and then he's also from the South. And so there's something you have to give credit to in the fact that at a time when hip hop was not even being hip hop in the South was even being respected, they came out the South and like, along with UGK, put the stamp down. Like you mm-hmm. better. The South got something to say. Yeah, yeah,
0: I remember that.
1: Don't make me spit a, a, a outcast verse up here.
0: Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> uh oh, uh oh. People are putting "I love you, J.K." Oh my goodness, yeah. Um, we love it. Thank you so much. It's already eight o'clock. I want to just keep Was hanging there one out question? and
1: let me- I feel like there was one more, right? Did you ask both? There no, are questions go. everywhere. Emily, let me know what to do. <laughs> we have so many questions. I got one more for you.
0: So make it good. Okay. All right. All right. So let's see. Um, Emily or afaft? do you see any that um, we could do real quick? Let me look in the q and I got some of those done. Oh, let's do this one from Adriana Rodriguez. Being a comedian and bringing so much joy to others how do you bring joy to yourself in your life
1: ooh that is a ooh yeah, yeah. Um, hmm I mean I'm a pretty just genuinely kind of like happy person um I will say that I really do get joy from making other people laugh like. And from creating, like that is mm-hmm. not like an abstract thing. Like, I genuinely do get joy from that. Um, I love going to the beach and being in nature. Um, I have good friends.
0: Like, Ooh, that's talk to my first
1: Yeah, like I have good friends. Like we, you know, my friends, like we can't even get on the phone without like, we got to block out time because we know it's going to (laughs) be. There's no like, hey girl, just like, there's none of that. It's an hour, you know? Um, I love TV, y'all. I love (laughs) television. I get actual joy. There's a show called The Expanse, okay? Mm -hmm. And my... My dude had binged it so that he could catch up so that we could watch the final season. Mm-hmm. The Final season was so good. I started crying. Uh-huh. I started crying in one of the episodes of just sheer joy <laughs> at how good it was. When I oh. saw TV and film does that to me. When I, saw, when I was sitting in the theater to see the last Harry Potter movie, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part, part two, I literally turned to my friend, Emily, and was like, (laughs) she's like, are you okay? I was like, I'm so excited. Ah, Like, it really, I just love it. And so, like, as an art form, and I'll tell you, I got really, um, and, like, music does that to me, too. You know, like, Mm -hmm. concerts and, like, um, being in that space, of like sharing in art, like really does something to me. And last year, last year, I went through a real depression um, Mm -hmm. around a number of things. But one of the things was around that I just felt like the art that I was seeing was so mediocre.
0: Mm.
1: And folks were lauding it as classic. And it was just, it felt like the universe was gaslighting me. And it Mm -hmm. was like, well, if this is what people want, then what you want to do, is not gonna happen. And it really made me like wanna quit. And I was just mm-hmm. like, I don't wanna work no more. I'm gonna figure something else out. I'm tired of this showbiz shit. I don't like this. I was really on that. Like I've yeah. said that quickly in many ways. And I went through I went through a, an experience that I came out the other side of. And when I came out the other side of it, I had this like, I don't know, kind of like a renewed love, for what I can bring to this space like a renewed <laughs> vision um because there was a certain point that I felt that way with music and I never got back to it mm-hmm. like I just stopped because I was like this ain't for me and I thought that's what was I thought that's what was happening with TV and film and it and it it actually isn't like I'm back and I have a renewed excitement and ambition around creating work that speaks, You know, to me and to the people, and um, and you need this, and you need stamina to do that. And if you don't have that stamina, it can feel like this is pointless and this is futile. And so I feel like I, I feel like I got that stamina back to where I'm like, all right, let's do this, let's go another round, huh? Mm -hmm. Once more into the breach. Yes.
0: Okay. So can I get an Andre 3000 verse now? Can we? Can
1: Ah. we? (laughs) Let me see if I remember this one. <laughs> um, okay, let's see. Me and everything around me is unstable like Chernobyl, ready to go at any moment, jumping like a pogo stick, like never lived up to my expectations. So I accept the patience, accept the expect the worst. So now I'm pacing back and forth inside of melting like water on wicked witches. A monster truck then came and ran over my picket fences. I had the best of life in my trenches i had the best of life in my clenches but monkey wrenches was thrown like chairs kings sit on oh, my prayers seem too long i fall asleep before the ending didn't even get to say amen i hope they realize i'd be on bended knee sometimes i think i'm crazy then i say forget it or maybe it's the devil infiltrating and in like riddick Bo. i've been fighting the system fetus days i count from one to twenty when i'm when i'm through repeat the phrase. it's just a phase it's going past but that gets old too i'm weakening like a deacon doing dirt what am i supposed to yeah you understand how difficult that is <laughs> <laughs> yes! He's a beast. A beast. I have yeah. to close my eyes like because the Yeah.
0: Yeah. You put me on I did it. Respect.
1: <laughs> Thank we you. We have loved this, this so much. Fun. Thank you. Thank, Thank y'all you all so much. I hope I I hope I I met the laugh quotient for the <laughs> evening. I know there were high hopes for Joe. <laughs>
0: so I think we're good I think we're good we saw lots of good comments tonight and everybody's excited we're just so honored people had such a good time tonight um just thank you for sharing your joy and your wisdom and um your kind words and
1: the last time I was I was at Chapman I think in 2014 Uh uh-huh I believe I came to Chapman and there was a conference, like a women's conference, I believe. And I did a one woman show I have called Side Eye Seminar, identifying Uh and defying everyday forms of of, uh, sexism. And the one thing I remember about Chapman was like, walking through y'all's campus. And I was like, is this a resort? (laughs) (laughs) At Chapman? (laughs) Beautiful. Wait, where am I going? No, I'm at, what am I, I, where am I tonight? (laughs) I was like, I don't know where Chapman is, but maybe I need to go. Okay. (laughs) Let me tell you the confusing part of these Zooms. You don't be knowing where you are. I know. You don't be knowing where you are. Let me tell you, my agent right now, Mark Gordon is on his computer like, no, that's what he's doing right now we're like in leave and club thank you guys. I know he is like he is <laughs> I'm like I know he is freaking out but I know where I'm at I'm at Cal State okay yes you're at Cal State yes I'm it's at Cal, Cal State. State I'm at Cal State I'm back I'm back guys I'm back it's okay it's okay you we'll know have what to you bring said? you to campus it'll
0: be just oh there's a puppy
1: <laughs> all is good now there's a puppy. Uh,
0: yeah when you bring cookies so we're funny. He was oh. so good. He's been here the whole time. Mine were horrible and they had to go away with daddy. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I, saw, I saw you mute and I was oh. like, oh, the dog is acting out. <laughs> I thought, when I start doing the head like this, you, you. <laughs> That's the so funny thing about Zooms. When you see moms go like this, it's like you're, you're telling a child to get out there mm-hmm. or I hide
0: my, my mouth. And I'm like,
1: Hamilton, shut up. Get over, there. <laughs> Get over there. Uh Someone asked what breed. Jordy is a rescue. He is a terrier chihuahua mix. He has one eye. You can't tell him that. And um, he got a haircut today. <laughs> so he has a little mohawk. And he is just living his best life. So but mm-hmm. thank you all so much for having me and thank just stay you. strong, stay strong. Like this, this is a real wild time. And as a student, I can, I can't even imagine the level of frustration that it feels that you feel like having your, you know, your college years in this way, but just know yeah. that you guys are a part of a special, you guys are a part of a special experience, you know, like, and it's all, there's a saying that says miracles are just a change in perspective. So just know that like, you all will always be able to say, well, I did this during a pandemic. And so mm-hmm. you can hold that over everyone's head and let that, That's be, right. my <laughs> let that be my last gift to you. Um, <laughs> I did this in a pandemic, you know.
0: Yes. So. Thank you. And we admire you for going through and coming out and, and continuing to do things because we appreciate your inspiration and all that you're doing for the Black community, for women and um all those around us so thank you so much thank you for your gifts and your knowledge and um we here at CSU Bakersfield appreciate you so much and would love to see you again sometime and um I'm sure Olivia is very honored to be able to she was able to speak to you and hang out for a minute so thank you for that
1: like I had a night like I had a date She's like, this look ain't just for you. This look doubled for two situations. I had a look for the date and she planned that. She was like, uh-huh. I to date the same night just in case so that I already got my look together. Uh-huh. I hear you, Olivia. That's practical. I like that. <laughs> Well, good night, y'all. Appreciate you. you. Make sure to follow me on Instagram, Amanda Seals. And um, look out, I got some new content coming for folks. So support it when you see. it. Yes. And book again, what's the date for your book? April 15th. All those is, comes out on paperback on April 13th. 13th. All right. All right. Good night, y'all. Be safe. Thank you. Good night.